Compliance, the final frontier. Tom Fox is the voyager of trekking through compliance. His mission, to explore the original series and seek out and share what it can teach you about compliance. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I would like to welcome you to a special Encore series of Trekking Through Compliance. This series will focus on the 2020 television show Picard. In this series, I'm joined by Megan Doherty. Megan is co-founder and partner at One Stone Creative, a podcast production firm. Megan is a Star Trek aficionado, although a Voyager Star Trek aficionado. And as all you listeners know, I'm an original series aficionado. Nevertheless, we both love Jean-Luc Picard, and we are going to explore the lessons learned and the shows and our love for Star Trek in the context of Picard. So sit back and enjoy this special presentation from Trekking Through Compliance. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Megan Doherty in our continued exploration of Picard the television series with, uh, or rather, on trekking in compliance. Today, we're going to take up the card episode four in this episode uh, entitled Absolute Candor. The card asked Rios to make a detour to the planet Vashti, where he helped relocate Romulan refugees before the attack on Mars. He calls on the Kuwait Malat Romulan warrior nuns who took in a boy called Elnor, uh, whom Picard has grown close to. Picard asks Elnor, now an adult, to join him on this quest. Elnor initially refuses, but changes his mind when Picard is attacked by Romulans who resent Starfleet abandoning their evacuation effort of the Romulans when their son went supernova. Picard and Elnor then beam up to La Serena, where Rios and Rafti are fighting a battle with a local warlord. Uh, A strange ship intercedes to help La Serena win the battle, but it's damaged in the process and the, the ship begins to disintegrate. This forces the pilot uh, to beam over to the La Serena. And one of the great endings of any television show ever, uh, it turns out that the pilot is Seven of Nine, the Borg we were introduced to in Voyager. Uh, meanwhile, outside the Borg, or rather aboard the Borg cube, Soji is trying to find out more about the Romulan ship that was assimilated by that cube and about... Uh, why she was called the Destroyer. Narek offers to get her information on the ship, but they have a falling out when he expresses doubts about her past. Rizzo, uh, his sister, uh, tells Narek that he now has a week to get the information on the location of other synthetics before she, uh, from Soji before she switches to a more uh, enhanced interrogation strategy. So, Megan... Uh, what were some of the highlights uh, from this episode for you? Well, I think the first one for me is, had I known that radically honest Romulan assassin nuns were a career path, I would not be producing podcasts right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> life goals right there. <laughs> and, and I thought that whole order of, that whole community kind of within Romulan culture was really, really interesting. Um, so that was yeah. a, a big one for me that I really liked. Um, right. Uh, of course, Seven of Nine appearing at the end. I screamed uh, at my screen uh, <laughs> out loud. <laughs> Terrified my partner. <laughs> that was pretty fantastic. 
That's funny because I screamed as well. <laughs> it was so great. I never saw it coming. So what about uh, this order? Um, uh, first of all, it's also uh, apparently sworn em- enemies of the Tal Shiar, which uh, makes it interesting as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't recall ever having heard about this order before. Is is that right? Or was they, were they referred to in uh, either TNG, uh, Voyager, or even Deep Space Nine? I feel like this is new, and and just I feel like well, broadly with this whole series, they're taking a lot of liberties with the Romulans. Like, I have very like I remember Romulans always like they all dressed the same, they had the same haircut, they were very like start, like I don't remember this kind of diversity of Romulanness. Um, right. So I, I don't remember seeing them, uh, hearing about them before. Um, but I, I thought it was really interesting the way they arranged it. So it's it's you know a female order. Of assassin nuns. Um, so aside from being just the coolest thing ever, uh, uh, I, I meant. <laughs> uh, oh, I thought it was the absolute candor you liked, and it turns out it's the assassin <laughs> angle. Something about assassin nuns at radical candor. I mean, I'd get used to it, but I like. I'm Canadian. I have trouble dealing with like American levels of candor. <laughs> it, it would be a challenge. Um, but that they set them up as being really antithetical to Romulan values. Um, you know, which I assume would be, you know, more subtle and less direct. Um, I, I just thought that was really interesting. Um, and then there's kind of the whole sellsword um, to hopeless causes aspect. Right. Um, you know, I, as kind of a, a plot description of the, the main plot of Picard's quest. Um, <laughs> it's officially hopeless now, so that's good. That sets us up for hopefully some, some satisfying reveals later. Uh, what about you? What were your highlights and takeaways? Well, seven of nine. Uh, it was so good. <laughs> it was so cool. Uh, and it was right at the end, and I was just screaming, no, no, this can't be the end. No, no, I want more. I want more. <laughs> um, so that was cool. The, um, You know, we have talked about uh, some of the fight scenes in this mm-hmm. um, podcast series, but I wanted to bring up the um, CGI around battle with the ships. I just thought that was outstanding. And they have a planetary mm-hmm. defense system that was also a part of this battle. So it was, it was cool. like five dimensional chess. And then when seven of nine shows up and she's mm-hmm. actually, uh, uh, I think a Fersner or some sort of ranger. Uh, and um, mm-hmm. you may not know the complete history of the Texas Rangers. And so I will help you on this point. Thank you. <laughs> I, I do not know the full history of the Texas Rangers. <laughs> Yes, we're a, a paralegal organization uh, during our War of Independence and then became an official um, uh, legal organization, and, and they essentially ranged over uh, the frontier, and they protected uh, the frontier from Indian attacks, Spanish or Mexican, I guess Mexican attacks, and uh, basically protected people. <clears throat> and that's the tradition that she is in now as a ranger. There are army rangers uh, and that comes from a different type of ranger that started out in the American Revolution uh, against England. Oh, that's cool. Um, so, yeah, uh, so I can talk about rangers all day. <laughs> and when she says ranging, uh, that's actually a term as well. So, uh, but she's... Okay, and so that, that kind of, that that changes um, kind of, I guess, maybe how we're meant to think of her, though, because, you know, it's a noble yes. profession, if not necessarily an official right. one. <laughs> not, not just a paid assassin. yeah. <laughs> A noble profession. So um, much like your warrior nuns. 
but the uh, the battle scene with the ships was just outstanding, and I rewatched that a couple of times in preparation for this um, episode. The um, it did seem to me that, uh, and, and then the the way the captain Captain Rios controls the ship, uh, it's all virtual, mm-hmm. and uh, so that was interesting uh, as well. Uh, although um, uh, it, Picard is still having trouble adjusting to the fact he's not the captain of the ship. I thought he was kind of um, uh, charmingly cognizant of that, though, whenever he, like, accidentally took command. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of in the way an old uncle would? Yeah, I just like, like, I like how he caught himself on it and corrected it. That, that I think, counts counts for something. Um, But just Mm. on Captain Rios, um, I don't think, like, I, I think I noticed it before, but it really hit me today that his entire ship is staffed by holograms of himself in different roles. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that expands. I will give you that hint for the next episode. There's even more of them. Uh, okay. So that, that's wonky. And I'm really curious if they're going to explore what's the real difference here between a hologram and a synth. Like if they're both sentient and if they're both interacting with humans and they both can control things, what's the difference there? Well, I think you're just hoping that the doctor is sentient. I can't imagine <laughs> That the doctor from Voyager is a, is a sentient being. There was a whole subplot about that. <laughs> he made him sentient because he had to wear a little thingy uh, that made him on all the time. But um, I never really gave him the equal treatment of uh, sentientness that we gave to Data. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, lots of Fair. holograms that do a lot of different tasks on the ship. So it was, I believe, the emergency mm-hmm. hologram. Uh, no, holodeck. Um, the hospitality hologram. Hospitality hologram. That was yeah. so <laughs> that's actually that's what I want. I want a hospitality. <laughs> I want to go to a Marriott and I want to get the hospitality hologram uh, for my room, just just to make sure the room is so. I bet that's going to happen in our lifetimes. Well, I look forward to that one. What about Rafty <laughs> in this one, or Raffy? Um, she seems to me to be uh, in this episode becoming angrier and angrier. Uh, did you see that? I, I thought she was getting more emotional, but in kind of in, in every direction. So like she was angrier, mm. but she was also happier and kind of more, hey, we're all on an adventure together. So I thought she was just like, her feelings seemed to be getting a lot more extreme in multiple directions. Like she was really unhappy that they didn't go right to free class. A large part of the scenes around Picard were him apologizing for the Federation abandoning the Romulans on the evacuation. That leads to the, not the climactic, but a climactic scene on the planet where he is uh, thrust into a duel and then protected by Elnor in another great choreographed fight scene. Um, Apologies, amends, uh, what can you do to make up? Um, that's actually a big topic in Houston these days because uh, you may not have heard, but we have a baseball scandal in America. Mm-hmm. And it involves my Houston Astros. And it looks oh. like they cheated to win the World Series. <gasps> that's a big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. <laughs> and uh, the phase we're in now is they've been punished. All of the, all of the, the sanctions, punishment, suspensions have been delivered. And there's a huge debate on, is that enough? Should they be stripped of the title? Should they have to give money back? Should they have to do other things? Mm -hmm. 
because the owner of the Astros, in his infinite mm-hmm. wisdom, had a press conference and um, basically gave the middle finger to the world and said, uh, oh, yeah, we're sorry. It's our trophy. Go screw yourself. So um, it didn't mm-hmm. go over very well. Uh, yeah, after cheating. <laughs> it didn't go over well. And he after started cheating. with, I am not accountable for people that <laughs> cheat under me. Uh, so it didn't go over very well, and it was viewed as sort of, the classic non-apology apology. So uh, I was wondering what your thoughts might have been because it, it seemed to me I, I just uh, had trouble with. But, but, but he's plainly never been a manager <laughs> in a mid-level corporation. <laughs> Picard's apologies um, that he really, you know, he did stop. And whether he stopped for his own, obviously his own reasons, uh, trying to help the evacuation when he sounded so committed to it. Did he abandon those people? Uh, was it wrong at the time uh, in the uh, light of hindsight now? Should he have done more? Uh, but I was not really feeling a lot of s- sincerity from his uh, apologies. What were your thoughts around that? I'm starting to get really frustrated with him <laughs> because, I mean, he's getting – like, you know, he's getting kind of involved in the broader galaxy again. And he keeps going back to all of these people that he had these relationships with, one kind of a relationship or another, that he hasn't talked to for whatever reason in 14 years, and trying to go back in and just, like, reconnect with them as if nothing has happened in the intervening time. Or that, like, they left on great terms, and everyone was really happy with the intervening 14 years, which was obviously not the case. And then when he was on Vashti, you know, when he got into that that dispute with the former senator and the other, I mean, it's like, he had gone into their town, broken down a sign that said Romulans only, sat down, and not expected any kind of pushback? Like, that, what, what did he expect to happen? Was he, was he, he was asking for the fight. Like, he, did, he wasn't thrust into it, he asked for it. You're right, I wondered what he was trying to accomplish there. He's not St. Picard. Like, he's, no, no one likes him anymore. <laughs> so what were your thoughts about the uh, absolute candor? other than being Canadian and having trouble with even uh, an American level of candor. And I've experienced that for the listeners who haven't. Let me tell um, you, it is something. <laughs> I, I have, she has chastised me before. <laughs> um, I, well, initially I thought, my first thought was, oh my gosh, this is kind of mean, especially to a child. Because that opening scene where he's just like, no, no, he doesn't like children. Children are disruptive to both pleasure and work. And I'm just like, oh man, that's accurate, but really unkind. <laughs> So um, that was interesting. But I, I think on balance, I like it. I like it between adults. Um, I, I don't like it from adults to children because I don't think that's fair. Yeah, I wonder what radical candor has to do with hopeless causes. Because I, I can't imagine that they're not connected ideas kind of in this organization. Right. But yeah, and I think it's, it's also an kind of interesting counterpoint, isn't it? Because it would be impossible for everyone on the show to be being honest with each other all the time. They're, that like... There's a lot of non-candor happening, like with um, Soji and Merrick. Um, within all of the Starfleet organization, people are deceiving each other. Um, and then you've got these Romulan warrior nuns who are being radically honest and mean to children. So <laughs> I think it's, it's an interesting counterpoint, but I don't really know what it means in a broader context yet. So a uh, couple of things. Um, one was I was very intrigued by Soji's reaction to being called the destroyer um, and the reaction being, I need to find out more about this Romulan ship. What happened to them? Mm-hmm. Why did they think I'm the destroyer? And what have I brought? Uh, what about my relationship 
that I don't even haven't tapped into is going to tie into that. So I thought that was a great uh, point mm-hmm. to explore. Uh, there were a couple of great cookies in this uh, movie for you Star Trek aficionados. There was actually a references references reference to Data's cat. Uh, that was probably my favorite. Oh, and and opera, um, Klingon opera. Klingon opera. Someone is going to have worked with Worf at some point. <laughs> there was uh, in in uh, Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country. There was a great line where Christopher Plummer asks, um, I think Kirk, if he'd seen uh, Hamlet in the original Klingon. <laughs> it was quite spectacular. Dollars to donuts. Someone has produced that. Like on our earth. <laughs> My Klingon's not that good. Mine either. So, um, next project. So, Dr. Girardi uh, really didn't seem to play that big a role in this case. She was just kind of there. Um, and adorable. Really, any, any thoughts about her in this episode? No, I, I feel like she was mostly filler in this episode. Like, I feel like we got to know her better and we got to see more of her personality. Um, which, you know, is charming for one episode, but would get old if it continued in that kind of like, ha yes, I'm going to talk all the time and water your plants. Um, but, <laughs> I, I, yeah, she wasn't really in it that much. And it kind of, she, yeah, she, I, I think Have it was if she really did ask, she was like, oh, am I supposed to be here? Am I part of the team? Am I on the crew? And, like, no one really knew how to answer that. And we're just like, we don't know. You're just here. <laughs> she does seem like about the, uh, the every person who's got the 200 IQ that doesn't know how to fit in. Um, so she just talks yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we had continued creepiness between brother and sister, Romulan spies. Oh, that is exponentially increased creepiness. It just keeps getting worse every episode. <laughs> uh, fortunately, that we're on network television, so it's everything's going to be PG. But there's a scene where she beams on uh, to his bed while he's sleeping, and they're you know both clothed, but it was still very creepy. And uh, yeah, and just this just her tone of voice was. It was, yeah, unpleasant. I did, did not love that. Um, I, I mean, if she wasn't so kind of weirdly into her brother, I think she was a really cool character and a great villain, but, like, that dynamic's not adding anything for me <laughs> to, to my enjoyment of her as a villain. <laughs> yeah, imagine Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter as a woman uh, with his sister. Yeah, no, yeah. It's just, it just it, yeah, something... I think maybe it's a little unnecessary. Maybe there'll be a good reason for it. Maybe, you know, they're, they're like actually, they, they were just adopted by someone when they were both adults and it'll retroactive, it'll be retconned into being less creepy. But we'll, we'll, we'll see. Well, I'm greatly looking forward to uh, seeing what comes up next, Megan. Me too. All right. Thanks, Tom. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, you can help it grow by sharing it with the biggest Trek fan you know. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>